0: Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. This is podcast number 213. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and in today's podcast, I am joined by fellow physical therapist, Mark Alexander. Mark was the sports physical therapist or physiotherapist to the Australian Olympic triathlon team at two Olympic Games and two Commonwealth Games. He was also the PT for the Australian Institute of Sport, London Broncos rugby team, WASPs rugby team and Riverdance, the Irish dance troupe. He was the director and senior lecturer of the La Trobe University's postgraduate Masters of Sports Physiotherapy Program. And he is also the founder of Back Physio Limited, where he invented and patented backballs, a portable and affordable self-treatment device for back pain. They have been endorsed by the Australian Physiotherapy Association and our FDA-approved Class 1 medical device. So I met Mark at CSM this past year in Anaheim, and there was so much that we could talk about. We're definitely going to have him back on to talk about the entrepreneurial side and, and to talk about patenting devices and things like that. But today, we're talking about myths of the IT band. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misinformation running around out there in the world, and we break through a lot of myths of the IT band. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to go into anything more. You're going to have to listen. There's a lot and it's really, really good. But before we get to the interview, I just want to thank audible.com for sponsoring this episode. So if you want a free trial and a free download of one of Audible's 180,000 books, then go to audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart. You get a free month and a free book. I use it All the time. I'm moving on. I just finished Atul Gawande's Being Mortal, which was great. And I am now moving on to Charles Duhigg's new book. So I'm really excited. And um, I'll probably, hopefully finish that uh, within the next week or two and can talk about it maybe in the intro for next week. We'll see how far I get. Anyway, Uh, Enjoy this episode with Mark Alexander. It was great. You're going to learn a lot about the IT band, what it does and does not do. So a big thank you to Mark for coming on the podcast and enjoy. Hey, Mark. Hello, all the way from uh, Australia. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. And good morning here. Uh, Good afternoon there, I believe.
0: Yes, exactly. So just so people know, we're Recording this on, it's a, a Friday afternoon, my time, and we're actually time traveling to Australia to be like really early morning for, for Mark. Um, so I thank you for, uh, for getting up early and coming on.
1: No problems. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So before we get into myths of the IT band, can you give the listeners a little bit more information about you, kind of where you're coming from and where all this? Uh, depth of knowledge of the IT band comes from and and what your interest is that sparked it all.
1: Sure. Uh, So my name's Michael Alexander. I'm a a sports physiotherapist from Australia. I have a bachelor's degree in uh, physiotherapy, or you call it physical therapy, and a master's in sports physiotherapy. And I was the physiotherapist for the Australian Olympic triathlon team at two Olympics in Beijing and Athens, uh, where we won a gold a silver and a bronze over those two games, and nice. I ran a master of sports physio program at a, uh, as in a professor here for five years at a postgraduate uh, university at La Trobe, where I took normal physiotherapists and trained them to be sports physiotherapists, and and so because of my interest in triathlon, uh, a very common injury or symptom was lateral knee pain or ITB pain, and that's where I developed uh, the interest and I was treating a lot of them both in age group as well as elite triathletes and so my master's thesis I then uh, went into the ITB in more detail and dissected the area and uh, have developed I guess a a level of expertise on the ITB.
0: That's awesome so and I'm sure you know, we could talk about the Olympics at maybe another podcast. I'm sure that's a great uh, a great experience for for anyone, um, for any physical therapist. But um, and we'll talk about sort of the the ITB lateral knee pain, all those myths in a second. Um, but why do you think? And 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 this may even lead into the rest of our discussion that. So those triathletes, why was that the ITB, lateral knee pain, so common?
1: Oh, it's a great question. Now, I wish I had the answer because uh, then they wouldn't have got uh, any more lateral knee pain. Sure. But one of the common reasons is that they, they're running off the bike. So they're doing a lot of cycling and they're doing a lot of running. And they, they run off the bike a lot. And so one of the, we'll get to this later, but around the predisposing factors for ITB pain is that uh, there's glute weakness and glute and some tightness around the hip flexors, et cetera. So when you're on a bike for uh, several hundred kilometers a week, you get very tight. And and that, and that I believe that their glutes aren't strong enough as well in the triathletes. Uh, so then they run off the bike with hip weakness and some specific tightness in their hip and then they develop ITB pain.
0: Got it, got it. Well, that makes sense. Okay, now let's get into, I'm sure, what everybody is, is uh, tuning in for, and that are some common myths surrounding the IT band. So let's start with number one. Okay, the IT band is a separate band of fascia that runs down the side of the leg hear that a lot. It's a separate band. It has, you know. So go ahead and tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Well, therein lies the name, iliotibial band. And look, I have to admit to the listeners and yourself that uh, from an undergraduate student for a couple of years, I thought it was a discrete band about three or four centimeters wide that ran down from the iliac crest, TFL, um, into the actual lateral side of the knee and to the tibia. But uh, when I did my master's thesis and I dissected this leg and I took the skin off and the adipose tissue and I'm looking at this circumferential fascia and I'm going, where's the iliotibial band? And the anatomist said, well, you're looking at it. It's part of this uh, circumferential fascia. And I said, well, hang on, isn't it, if I take this off, will there be a thickened band underneath it that's separate? Uh, And he goes, no, 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 it's just, feel that it's on the lateral side of the fat of the quad it, that's the actual itb and i've gone oh okay because when i was an undergrad there was a leg sitting on my anatomical bench and it had a thigh with all muscle all fascia removed except this discrete band down the side of the leg and in all of your an- anatomical atlases it's a discrete band that they've cut they've just cut away everything else and you're left with this, oh, this is where the thickened section is, but it's contiguous with the whole circumferential fascia. So that's why I think a lot of people think it's a band when it's actually not. It's just part of your f- circumferential fascia.
0: Got it. So it's all one unit Correct. connected around the around the leg or around the thigh.
1: Yeah, but Versus- when you
0: feel but yeah, Sorry. so then the question is, so then you feel, and people always say, well, I can feel the IT band.
1: You can, but what you're feeling is just the thickened section of a whole circumferential fascia.
0: Right, right. Well, that's okay. So that's one myth busted. Now, this the second one, and we talked a little bit about this before we went on, is, and and you see this, A lot, not just in physical therapy, but in in the world of strength training and gyms and things like that. And that is um, you can lengthen your IT band through a foam roller or your hands can release it, whatever that means. You can release it with your hands. You can release it with a foam roller so can you talk a little bit about that myth and why that might be not be correct?
1: Sure. So I'm a little bit of a pragmatic realist. And again, when I used to think that as well prior to doing my, my dissection and my master's thesis. But then when I dissected the fascia and especially the ITB, it blunted my scalpel. So I'm thinking... And it was really thick. I'm talking a couple of millimetres thick down at the, the lateral distal um, IT band so within the fascia. So I'm thinking, I've been smashing this for years with my knuckles, my elbows, um, foam rollers, thinking that I'm lengthening this structure. And I really had to question that assumption because a uh, misconception potentially. Because how could, if it's bluntening a scalpel, are my knuckles going to actually lengthen this thing? And stretching it as well, I think maybe a little bit of a of a, um, a misconception. If you're going to get length in the short term, if you stretch anything for months, like like ballet dancers can eventually do the splits. So, um, and I'm sure I could if I stretched for uh, you know six months, I might be able to do the splits. So maybe you can lengthen over time. But in the short term, if you think you are lengthening and releasing. Or sorry, lengthening the IT band, you are, you are misconceived. Like it's it's it just cannot happen. The other the other myth about the release is, um, and this is where you have to really question the correlation and causation. A lot of people will massage the IT band, or trigger point the TFL and release the TFL, and their pain goes away, lateral knee. So therefore, they've assumed that they've lengthened it. But you also always have to question the mechanics of, of what you've actually done to lead to pain relief. Uh, so what people, you know, when you think about it, you can release the tensor fascia lata, which is the muscle that attaches into the, uh, fascia, the IT band, uh, or I should say the fascia. Mm-hmm. Um and the glute max also attaches into it as well, but the, the sole insertion of the TFL is into the IT band. Uh, so if you do it, affect the tensor fasciolata, you can have an impact on the tension going into the the fascia. So that can then obviously have an impact on the insertions down at the distal part of the uh, fascia. But the release, you really, I, I would challenge you if you think you're releasing something. There are myofascial attachments on the undersurface of the fascia into the vastus lateralis. So if you are massaging the distal um, fascia and IT band, you can have an impact on the myofascial attachment, the, the muscle underneath the fascia, as in the quadru- quadru- uh, the, the vastus lateralis. Mm-hmm. but you're not releasing the fascia because if a scalpel can't do it, you can't do it.
0: Yes, very, very well said, very well said. Um, and, you know, might that – and this is, is probably a whole other discussion, but might that pain relief come from endogenous opioids being released just from the act of, of the massage or the touch or, or the, whatever it is you're doing? Um,
1: oh, potentially, yeah. Right? Generally, I mean, there's
0: I so have. many. I mean, I don't I mean, have mean,
1: the answer for that. Yeah, not- I don't
0: have the answer for that as well, but there's so many things that can go into that pain relief. Um, It could just be trusting the therapist that's working on you, and all of a sudden you have less pain, and that's fine.
1: There could be a placebo there. I mean, my honest honest thesis prior to my master's was actually on placebo. Oh, cool. has a massive effect. Mm-hmm. I, I won't digress into that now, but it's definitely once you touch someone, it has a huge mm-hmm. uh, placebo effect. And that's not to say it's negative. It's just no, it, no, no. Use it. Physio, physical therapist use the placebo because it's powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so let's see. So so far we know it's not a separate band, it's just a thickened part of a continuous fascia around the leg. You can't smush it, roll it, stretch it, release it—all that kind of stuff—with your bare hands or a foam roller. Um, and then the other question that you know, the other comment you hear a lot is, "Well, why would you want to release it? Because isn't it providing stability over the lateral part of the leg?" So, can you speak to that aspect of what the IT band, the stability aspect?
1: Sure. So uh, this takes me back, I guess, to my masters in and, and researching deeply around the anatomy and and this is going back to the 1850s where um you know that they they started looking at the anatomy of the uh, iliotibial band and the fascia lata compared to primates and mm-hmm. the primates the chimpanzees gorillas they all have a tensor fascia lata muscle going into the fascia it attaches into the fascia but we are the only species that have a thickened band within that circumferential fascia. So then you hypothesize, well, we're standing on two legs and they're not. So over the hundreds of thousands of years, we've evolved into upright standing individuals. Then the, the what they hypothesize is that the IT band is has developed as a lateral stability mechanism, almost a lateral ligament of the thigh between the hip and the knee, because it runs over the hip joint And it runs over the knee joint, so that's where they've postulated that it might be developed. Maybe in a few hundred thousand years, we might have a lateral ligament, and it may be a separate band, uh, but it's not at this stage. So, uh, yeah, it's really fascinating how um, you you think about that as a stability structure. So it is, in my belief, a passive stability structure, but you don't want to rely on that. You, You obviously active stability around the hip musculature is is Key in my belief, and the literature shows that, and we'll get to that later. Yeah. So then, when you talk about releasing it, why would you want to release it? Well, I don't believe you do want to release it. There, there might be some anatomical variations that are different from one side to the other, or between you, this patient and that patient, that you might want to uh, ascertain with your hands and palpation, and and then you treat what you find. That's that's a big belief belief of mine around clinical reasoning. But the only release you want to do in the IT band is a surgical release if you've exhausted all conservative options. And I tell you what, one of our Olympic silver medalists had a surgical release on her ITB about five or six months prior to the 2004 Olympic Games where she won a silver medal. And she was having crippling IT band or, you know, illiotibial pain. And the, and look, these magic Olympic physio hands couldn't get her right. And the only thing, because she had an anatomically tight fascia, the only thing that worked with her was a scalpel releasing it. Uh, and she was pain free very quickly. Uh, and she competed and won a silver medal.
0: Wow. That's pretty yeah. amazing, actually.
1: The biomechanical abnormality with her, I should say, is she had massive genu So she she had bow legs like the best cowboy you've ever seen. And and if you think about anatomically what that's going to do to the IT band, it's going to place it on constant tension. And and something is obviously uh, causing pain and pathology at the distal part of the knee. And but you release it, the pain went away because there was wow. obviously my hypothesis is there's no more tension. So things aren't going to pull, uh, anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 that, That sounds like a very plausible hypothesis. Um, very much so. And we'll kind of get into a little bit more about that in a second. Um, maybe, maybe after this, so not so kind of a stabilizer of the knee, I'm sorry, kind of a lateral stabilizer, but not to the extent that people think it is. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely not a stabilizer of the knee in comparison to your lateral collateral mm-hmm. ligament and your, cru- and your cruciates. Sure. No way. Sure. But it is It is a structure that goes over the, 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 the whole knee, the fascia, but the lateral thickened area. Mm-hmm. So I, if you're relying on that for stability... Um, you're in I big think- trouble you got some issues yeah. uh, but obviously, obviously the old ACL reconstruction they took the you know they, they took some of the ITB and they they ran it more anteriorly I believe um, it's b- before my time but mm-hmm. uh, so it can act as a stabilizer of the knee right
0: right okay all right so let's get into now uh, ITB friction syndrome so you hear this a lot. Um, what, what is it, what is the pathology behind that and what is one to do when they get a note from a doctor saying this patient has ITB friction syndrome?
1: It's a great question and I wish I had the answer, but I can only talk about what's in the literature and also what my opinion is, uh, because I believe when there's several theories uh, in the literature, it means that no one actually really knows and also that there could be individual patient variations, anatomical variations. So they all could be plausible um, and, and actual, but maybe uh, maybe there's a bit of a myth there. So ITB friction syndrome was penned in 96 by Orchard, a colleague of Karim Khan's uh, and, a, and a very famous and, and uh, a great sports physician here in Australia. Uh, and it was, the hypothesis was that, as the knee flexes through, you know, twenty to 50, 60 degrees of flexion, the thickened band within the fascia rubs over the lateral femoral condyle, and that what that friction uh, and the overuse of that is what leads to pain. Uh, then, but but that was really uh, thrown into disarray by Faircloth or Fairclough. I don't know how you pronounce his name, where he talked about well, hang on, the 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 fascia dives deep into the uh, linear aspira the whole way down the lateral thigh all the way down to the actual uh it attaches onto the femoral condyle so how can how can a friction occur when it's actually attached onto it um so his belief is that yes there's a, a thickened band and that it's it's with the the flexion it's actually um there's something happening but he believed it's a compression. Uh, if you can imagine the fascia compressing down onto mm-hmm. the bone mm-hmm. and that, that's what leads to the pain. And so that, that, that was fascinating. And then there's been a lot of other anatomical studies around, well, let's MRI, let's see what structures are there. So some authors have said there's a bursa. Some authors have said it's a lateral um, part of the capsule of the knee that's being irritated. So this is more the structure that's hurting rather than the pathology, the cause of the pain. Um, and other other people have said it's it's fatty tissue. Uh, there's no bursa, separate bursa. It's just fatty tissue. So my so I don't have the answer to that. What what I believe is that there's you, you have to treat what you find and you assess to 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 find out what the issues are and then you treat what you find. Does it actually matter whether it's frictioning or whether it's compressing? Not really, because you can't do anything about that specific pathology. What you can do is assess both sides of their legs and hips and do a full musculoskeletal screening and palpate the areas on both sides to compare and to see what's actually going on 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 their affected side and then treat what you find, TWIF, T-W-Y-F. If you're going to put physio degree in four letters, it's uh, treat what you find. And therefore, I don't, it really doesn't go through my head when I'm treating an Olympic triathlete's ITB, whether it's frictioning, or whether it's compressing, or whether it's fat versus capsule. It's just, I'm, I want to work out what the cause of this problem is. And then I'm going to reverse that cause and hopefully the pain will go away.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, thank you for, for clearing that up. And, and yeah, it's, gosh, isn't it amazing how one little area of the body. Can have so many um, hypotheses as to why, as to what's going on, even anatomically speaking.
1: Oh, sure. Which we
0: Uh, think is cut and dry in most cases, right?
1: Yeah, and and for for a bit of light reading for you folks listening, um, just Google anatomical variations of whatever structure you're interested in in the body, whether it's median nerve or um, IT band or. Um, popliteus or mm-hmm. or menisci and you just you start to see the anatomical variations that anatomists pick up when they dissect 10 20 30 cadavers and they're looking at one specific structure and it's it's different in so many people and so when you but when you just bucket everyone into one little thing that the it band just goes from the the iliac crest you know tensor fasciolata into the, the the lateral tibia, um, it's it's kind of wrong because uh-huh. a lot of a lot of people um, a lot of people's fascia attaches under a variety of different things. Yeah, there's, there's actually an anatomical uh, attachment between the um, the fascia, so down a deep distal iliotibial band to the undersurface to then to the vastus lateralis. So maybe in some people it's actually not friction, it's not compression. Okay. It's it's actually a myofascial irritation or muscular pain where the, the the fascia is moving, but the attachment to the muscle doesn't allow it to move. So irritation occurs there. I'm sure in some patients that's the actual source of their pain. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Potentially.
1: Potentially.
0: Potentially. Yeah. Do, yeah. I mean, do, so much variation. No. Do we
1: know? no, we don't. <laughs> no,
0: absolutely not. Okay. So and that actually kind of rolls right into what I wanted to talk about next. And let's talk about the main sort of causes or main probable causes, I guess we could say, of this lateral knee pain, ITB pain, whatever you want to call it. I know We've got some intrinsic, we have some extrinsic causes. I think we sort of touched upon this when you were talking about the uh, Olympic athlete who needed to have the ITB release. You know, that would certainly be a, a cause, would be that excessive varum. But go ahead and, and uh, talk to the intrinsic and en- extrinsic causes of this lateral knee pain.
1: Sure. So... And, and you raised a point probable at the start. So I'm going to caveat this by it is, it is probable. Uh, and, it, and it's in my experience, what I've seen in triathletes. And, and, and actually, the, the way I've come back to the potential causes are by the treatment options I've chosen that have actually worked, or I think they've worked, maybe it was some other mechanism, and then work backwards, well, if I've strengthened the glutes, then maybe they had their, their glute weakness, hip abduction weakness, maybe that was the cause. I don't know. So, so potential causes, uh, I, I bucket things in sort of strength and flexibility, so strength and length, and strength is stability as well. So from a stability perspective, my um, if I'm going to prioritise these, my belief, the biggest cause of ITB pain or lateral knee pain associated with the fascia is hip abduction weakness so your gluteus medius etc um, even tensor fasciolata is a, is a is an abductor so the just yeah. let's just call it hip abduction weakness and fredrickson um and uh, who well Be- Be- fredrickson in 2000 beers in 2008 there's a number of authors that have hypothesized and and found that uh Glute weakness or hip abduction weakness can be a predisposing factor to ITB pain. And if you think about how that could be, then it actually comes down to, um, I guess, one of my beliefs as to the mechanical sources of pain at the uh, lateral attachments of the fascia. To me, it's more of a, um, whether it's compression or friction, but it's to me, it's actually strain. It's it's the body is not tolerating the load that's being applied to it, and therefore, like a if you are repetitively going to bend a piece of wire in one position, it's going to eventually snap the wire. So if you repetitively put a load into any structure in the body, it's going to wear out, or, or there's going to be micro trauma, there's going to be microscopic irritation, inflammation, and that's where pain's going to come from. So my belief, if you've got Weak hip abductors, when you're running and your foot lands and you smash down into hip adduction because your glutes, Trendelenburg, you're not actually stabilizing the hip. What's going to happen to the lateral fascia? It's going to be placed on length. It's going to be placed on tension because it's going to lengthen. And where is that force going to go? It's either going to be at the top or at the bottom. And at the top, that's where you see the glute medias, tendinopathy, uh, trochanteric bursitis. Um, then at the bottom, you are going to get lateral knee pain. And I believe that's where it comes from. And sorry to bore your listeners with the laws of physics. So then I'm, I'm a bit of a maths nerd. So then I dived into, well, let's, stru- look, let's look at some strain gauge tests here. And there are a, a number of uh, great studies on strain gauges on the actual fascia, uh, sorry, the, the fascia. And if you go back to your basic high school physics, force equals mass times acceleration. So let's think about the force. I'm always a believer in the forces going through the body. And so force equals mass times acceleration. If you then break down mass times acceleration, acceleration is velocity divided by time. So force equals mass times velocity divided by time. So if you if you increase the velocity of when you smash down running and your foot hits the ground and the velocity at which you absorb that force and the tensions applied to the fascia, then it's going to increase the force, which is logical, right? Um, But if you also reduce the time, so the rapidity, the, the speed at which you smash down, and you see this when you see people run on a treadmill, that, when their hip drops into A AD adduction and the Trendelenburg sign, you, you see this, it, it almost hurts watching these people run. Um, so that's the speed at which the time that force is applied into your lateral fascia. So really your velocity is going up, your time's dropping, the force, because your mass doesn't change when you're running on a treadmill or you're running, um, well, it might a couple of grams or a hundred grams, with loss of sweat but loss of fluid but your force goes up and i believe that tension going into the lateral side of the knee is what leads to the actual pain so a very long answer is the one of the main causes is hip abduction weakness which can it's a, an active restraint it's an active controller and stabilizer of the hip and the knee um, so look look at that if you're not testing but again treat what you find if you test and on both sides, your hip abduction strength is the same. Well, you don't strengthen their hip abductors. You you, you go and find the next cause.
0: Okay, so we have uh, weakness of the hip abductors. Um, what can be another probable cause?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. Uh, I So I think distal and I think proximal. So proximal, what's going to affect the... Iliotibial band—it's going to be hip abduction weakness. Distally, what's going to affect um, the IT band, and so hip internal rotation, tibial internal rotation, pronation—they're the things that can obviously distally impact on the attachments of the knee. And biomechanically, I think it was uh, Beers in 2008 that showed that tibial internal rotation uh, can be a biomechanical predisposing factor. So. Uh, again, you, you have to assess and then treat what you find. So that's where some excessive pronators uh, and then obviously a treatment would then be uh, orthotics that are custom made for that individual. That can be a, a cause and then obviously the, the intervention required. So that's stability and, and movement. But Then if you look at flexibility, another cause for me is, uh, te- again, tension. What's applying tension to this? Uh, iliotibial bend passively in a a, a flexibility manner that that I can do something about. And so tensor fasciolata, tension, tightness, uh, I I believe it's more tone than tightness because it's a very small muscle. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you stick a needle in that or your thumb in that, you can feel that it doesn't feel as tense. Um, I don't believe, you know, it, I guess some people call it a release, but um, to me, release is a surgical technique. Um, but you, if you stick your thumb in it or a needle in it, you definitely feel a difference in tone. So, but again, why is that hypertonic? I generally believe it's reacting to the weakness of your other abductors. So it's excessively used as a um, as an abductor. Uh, but then, I guess th- there are going to be some people where your fascia is short, and and that, that that's that triathlete. So, mm-hmm. like everything, we're born. There's a spectrum of flexibility from your hypo to your hyper flexible people. So, there's going to be some people their connective tissue is tight um, compared to the flexible people, uh, and maybe. After six months of treatment, maybe a surgical release is the only way you're going to affect this structure. There's there's other studies that show that on the affected side of the iliotibial band, it is thickened like by a millimeter or two millimeters thicker than the unaffected side. But again, is that the cause or is that the chicken or the egg? That might just sure. be after that might be after 10 years of running with with weak hip abductors and you're smashing all those laws of physics down into that distal knee Mm -hmm. and maybe it's just a reaction like Wolf's law on bone. Maybe there's a law on fascia that if you apply enough force to it excessively, it'll grow over time to absorb that force. I don't know the answer.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that kind of, you know, like you said, chicken or the egg, is it this intrinsic forces that are perhaps causing an extrinsic Intrinsic probable cause that may be causing an extrinsic cause, which is sort of that, um, like you said, volume increase or uh, that may cause this. And who knows? Who knows? Who knows? It, it's you don't know. Yeah. And
1: one it's thing interesting, interesting to again. note, one thing interesting to note that again, I'm, I'm a bit of a I, uh, I guess a explorer and and I always want to get to the root causes. And so then I was thinking, well, how come? you can have an asymmetrical weakness of hip abductors because that's not right either um, because yeah we're born with asymmetries but surely we're not going to have one weak abductor than the other so then i started to look at the histories of all of these triathletes but i treated a whole lot of people with uh, it problems lateral knee problems that weren't triathletes so and one one of the common causes in these patients that had hip abduction weakness and lateral knee pain was Severe history of ankle sprains, and when you think about it, well, so ankle sprains. This 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 is purely conjecture, um, but there's a basketball study around ankle sprains, and they showed the a hip uh, abduction weakness after the ankle sprains. So, but think about it: if you sprain your ankle, you're on crutches or you're just limping. You are changing the biomechanics of that side. You are changing the gravitational forces going through that hip joint and therefore there's a possibility mm-hmm. that you are changing the the neural mechanisms like as butler would say neuro tag with pain mm-hmm. but maybe you're creating a little bit of micro brain damage or brain change that is then leading to uh, the muscular weakness around the actual hip joint because of all sure. of those pro- proprioceptive deficits you might be changing the brain
0: yeah absolutely so it's like you're losing the precision um of those structures within the brain. So losing that precise, uh, whether it be motor map, sensory map, proprioceptive map within the brain, and therefore that gluteus medius or those hip abductors are perhaps not at their optimal function as a result of that. And, yeah. and that makes sense. And, you know, even uh, people who've had, let's say, ACL surgeries or things like that, where they're non-weight bearing and where maybe maybe they are favoring the other side, even when they're done through with their recovery. So that can perhaps also be the a a reason for this asymmetry. Oh,
1: definitely, and, right? and it's a great point. I think that, and it, look, I have I can't have listeners running out and saying that this is fact. It's just purely yeah. a. Theory of mine, right? Um, and and but I'm but I'm a thinker, and it and it really came about because I was smashing away rel- trying to release the IT band when I was a younger physio, um, and I was strengthening the hip abductors because I'd found this asymmetry, and I thought I'd you know I was a, I was a great physio, awesome. I found this issue that I haven't seen before, and and that but then when they stopped treatment uh, six weeks later, their uh, after their pain had gone away for a few months, their pain came back. And then I retested, and their hip abductors were weak again. And I'm thinking, well, hang on. We've strengthened it, so surely it then should stay the same as the other side, but it's like a bucket with a hole in it. It's drained away almost, the strength. So why is that? And that's where I went looking at at other... Proximal and distal structures. Mm-hmm. So then I found these ankle sprains and ankle uh, proprioceptive issues around the foot, well, around the lower limb. Look, and there's another cause there intrinsically uh, hip labrum problems. So if they've got hip joint problems, their hip abductors are atrophied and weakened. So that's another, I've seen that as well in triathletes. So again, treat what you find. You've got to do a full musculoskeletal screening to actually find where these problems come from. Um, sure. But also, if you are interested, I won't go into it now, but look up the astronaut research, uh, the, the impact of the body going to outer space, and look at the research that shows that your type 1 muscle fibers are um, more prioritized or more prone to atrophy and wasting. Um, and so that really led me to a whole new aspect of maybe when you sprain your ankle or you're on crutches you are throwing that leg into outer space because you don't have gravitational forces on it. And then that can have permanent, but can can obviously, I, I believe there's a reversible aspect to it as well, um, changes to the, the muscular structure of, of a limb. But again, I won't go into that detail, but do the research yourself because it's fascinating.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Now let's go into uh, quickly sort of the assessment part. So someone comes in, they have this IT band or lateral knee pain, if you will. And one of the things, like we said, you're kind of looking at probable causes. So you want to test the strength of the hip abductors. How are you, te- how are you assessing that? Yeah, Can you share question. with how you're assessing that?
1: Yeah. So uh, I'd love to go back to my whole assessment regime, but if we just focus on hip abductors, the first thing I'll do is look at them walking, running, um, and squatting and hopping just to see functionally, is there, do I perceive to be a dropping of the hip, the Trendelenburg sign? Um, if, If there is, I'll deep dive and I'll I'll have a look at the what could potentially be leading to that, and obviously hip abduction weakness is one of those. So then, how do I specifically test the abductors? Side lie. Um, I will bend up the lower leg and just leave it there for stability, and I'll have their upper leg in. I mean, it's the Obers test is the length and length test, but it's pretty much the same position as the Obers test. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will get their straight leg. And I'll just get them. Can you please hold your leg there as I push down, and 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 see if they um, if there's any strength deficit compared to the other side. But again, thinking around what when someone's running ten kilometres in an Olympic triathlon or a marathon, they're not just it's not strength because they're not squatting hundreds of kilos or on one leg. They are they're repetitively landing with the g forces. Uh, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of steps over a marathon. Mm-hmm. So you have to think about strength endurance. So I will test their strength as a one-off maximum. How hard can I push before their their hip breaks into hip adduction? Uh, I should say it doesn't break, but but you know what I mean. Yeah. They lose they lose the ability to hold. Uh, then, and I'll test both sides, and I'll call that hip strength. Absolute R1 repeti- repetition one strength then i 'll do strength endurance, so I will do that ten times and i 'll just see how their strength reduces over time as in a strength endurance fashion, but you 're just comparing it to their good side. very rarely have I seen people with i t band issues, lateral knee pain on both sides mm-hmm. um, but and the ones that do tend to have the structural varum. But so therefore looking at strength and strength endurance. So that's how I test hip hip abduction strength and strength endurance.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I just wanted people to know that it's more than just like that sort of R1 or break test or whatever you want to call it, that you have to look at these people standing as well.
1: Oh, definitely. You've Mm. got to do functional test first off the bed then that, using your eyes, you're an investigator here. You're trying to identify the cause of the issue. You, you're observing for a potential asymmetrical issue, functional standing, uh, and then you dive down into the bed and you try and find it. But there's all strength, strength endurance, but there's also stability and proprioception of the hip. So I will actually get people then to do, I'll test the hip external rotation strength as well in the same position, but just with a bent leg, mm-hmm. a bit, bent knee, I should say. But I'll also test just the ability to roll their leg out into hip external and internal rotation and test it with the other side. And I'm just testing my hypothesis. is I'm testing the connection between their brain and their hip and how they can control in a conscious fashion, which may lead to a, a, a decision that they have potential proprioceptive deficits at their hip.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're doing that in supine, having them... Roll yep. yeah, I do that too. I like that. That's yeah. telling. It really is. That's a nice test. Um, okay, so you're you're. We went over those little bits of assessment, and and you're obviously palpating to kind of see perhaps where what might be a tender spot. I'm assuming. So, sure. so there's two different
1: areas. assessment, two different assessment things here. There's one you're trying to differentially diagnose the structure, or there it could be. It could be a lateral meniscus degenerative lateral meniscus, and not nothing to do with the the doctor's referred and, and the there's iliotibial band friction syndrome. Well, no, actually, it's a 55 year old man who's running, but it's actually osteoarthritis of the knee and lap, lateral meniscal problems that um, nothing to do with the the lateral Like there's a bit of tightness around there, but and and irritation. But when you are palpating, it's the it's the knee joint, not not their fascia. So so yes. You, you, you're diagnosing on one hand and that really you have to use sorbeline cream or whatever you're comfortable with. I tend to do all the orthopedic tests to, to rule things out. And then I once I've done all that, I'll palpate um, with my thumbs, but then I'll actually get some a little bit of massage cream and I'll just feel their good side first to get an idea of what their meat is like, what their fascia is like, Um because we're we're dealing with a stake underneath there. Sorry, apologize for the vegetarians and the yeah. listeners, but but I'm feeling for what their underlying vastus lateralis structures like and, and their attachments and their and just their structures and the, and the, the thickness of the fascia, or else that's what I think I'm feeling. Um, and but I'm just then I'll go to their affected side and I'll feel that. And if it's different, then I need to do something about that. So that's that's hands on, and then then I will actually screen for the causes. So I'll go through hip abduction, hip external rotation, um, assess their knee mobility. Then I'll go down into hip uh, pronation of their feet mm-hmm. and see what's happening down there as well.
0: Yeah, all right. And of course, it goes. I feel like it goes without mentioning that you're not just. You're also talking to the patient ahead of time and getting a thorough history. I mean, I don't think we have to talk, go into that, because I'm assuming that most physical therapists uh, out there sort of know that you have to talk to your patient and perhaps ask them. But are there any questions that you have, like must-have questions during that interview process?
1: Oh, sure. And that's a great lead into. we've talked about intrinsic. Now let's talk about e- extrinsic. So you can only get the extrinsic causes by talking to your patient. So really, the... Again, back to being a mathematical nerd that I am, I think about laws of physics and the forces going through the knee. The only way to find out what forces have been going through the knee is ask them what their activity levels have been over the preceding three to six months. And the couple of key questions you want to ask are what have you been doing, how long, how many miles, what intensity, so volume and intensity of both running, cycling, um, and and walking – Then then you want to think about a graph with force or load on the um, y-axis and on the x-axis is just time. And and it asks them to plot over time what their load has been like. And I can guarantee you in about 80 to 90% of your patients, there's a spike. There's There's a spike that just three weeks earlier or four weeks or six weeks earlier, they started to really ramp it up um, and and the body, obviously, their body cannot handle that load, and it could be they could develop tibial stress fractures, or they could develop um, you know issue other issue patellofemoral pain, or in your patient that's got lateral knee pain, their ITB is the is the structure that can't handle that spike in load. So they're the key questions you have to ask.
0: All right, excellent. Okay. So let's now go into treatment, and I'd want to talk We're going to go back to our last myth here. I was saving this for the treatment part. Um, So when you're treating this lateral knee pain or ITV pain, is it sort of the same as treating a tendinopathy? And are we talking about the, the same type of treatment approach? And if not, how is that different and why?
1: Oh, good question, and, and I think if we're talking anything tendinopathy, you have to direct that to Jill Cook of or course. Karen Kahn because they're, <laughs> they're the experts. And Jill, Jill was one of my lecturers uh, in my master's course, and I learned a lot from Jill. Yeah, she's, she's amazing, an absolute, absolute legend. Uh, so the, the what the structure we're dealing with, if in your differential diagnoses you have la- narrowed it down to the lateral fascial structure, um, it's a fascia, it's not a tendon. So there's no tendon cells. In my understanding, you'd have to ask Jill that to confirm it, but there's no tendon cells in the fascia, so I don't believe there's any tendinopathy, like either symptoms or uh, issues in the fascia. Um, so no, I don't believe it's a tendinopathy. Uh, so really, then, if you um, think about what it is, it's and treatment, you're dealing with a passive, very, very, very strong. Connective tissue. So to treat that, again, treat what you find, TWIF, T-W-Y-F, uh, you go back to your assessment and you have to treat the things that you found. And so my common um, treatments based on the common uh, things that i found in, in their assessments, uh, I will generally work on the TFL, tensor fasciolata, because if it's, but you just palpate it on both sides. And if it's hypertonic, then you stick your thumbs or, or needles in it um, because it's directly affecting the tension of the, the lateral fascia. I will definitely um, massage, it, for want of a better word, the, the lateral thigh because generally you are finding a asymmetrical tissue difference, a tissue issue on the affected side. But what I believe I'm doing is affecting the vastus lateralis attachments to the fascia, I believe you may be able to uh, have some impact on the deep insertion to the bone. Like you're not going to change that, but the 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 the, the soft tissue attachments to that area, of the muscular attachments, and then around the actual knee, um, even patellofemoral mobs. Um, like if you, it's funny that there's an anatomical variation that the fascia lata, sorry, the fascia of the leg. It wraps around the biceps femoris tendon. And here's some people which will have ITB friction pain, or they say it's friction, but lateral, distal, uh, fascial pain, but they'll also complain of this tightness around their biceps femoris tendon. And it's funny, when I dissected the knee, there's this wraps around the uh, biceps femoris tendon. So I will get back there. And only if it's different to the other side will I then massage and friction etc. Uh, around that biceps femoris attachment. And it's funny in some patellofemoral pain patients, when you medially mob the patella, and I'm talking really smashing it medially, so you're getting a stretch of the lateral fascial structures um, and lateral retinaculum etc. They will, some of them will complain of a pain or a stretch right back posterior knee around that biceps femoris tendon. Well, why? Well, it's all attached. So one treatment technique is really smashing that, um, and and apologize for my Australian um, yobboism here, Uh but saying smashing, but but really mobilizing strongly the the patella medially, uh, which is going to stretch the lateral fascial structures of the knee. Uh, But again, I only do that if it's different to the other side. Uh, and the other treatment techniques I will do, uh, I like, I do like dry needling. I do like um, getting needles through the fascia um, into the quad, uh, vastus lateralis because, again, I'll only do that if it's different to the other side when I'm palpating. And then, obviously, you're dealing with all of the strength and, and endurance issues. So I'll, if it's weak hip abductors, I'll give them a program of strengthening their hip abductors.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, what um, and and of course this differs from from patient to patient depending on uh, presentation. But what are some specific exercises that you may give for strengthening the hip abductors?
1: Yeah, good question. I, I will start with people. I always start basic on a pyramid of foundation of, of stability, then work up to strength. So again, only if it's this is an issue, I will work on just hip proprioception. So just supine, knees bent up and just dropping their leg out into external rotation and back up into internal and compare it to the other side and, and just do, do that really slowly, like the, the speed of a, of a second hand on a clock. Um, then in side lie, I will get them to do hip external rotation in that position as well um, if it's an issue. Uh, I very rarely get them strengthening, though, on the bed. To me, the, the best way of doing it is in standing in a functional position. My best, um, I guess, the results, I've got the best from hip abduction strengthening. It's, it's a bit weird, but it's a single leg squat, but it's um, you're leaning against a wall. So your your unaffected hip hip greater trochanter is pushing against the wall, and your affected side, your single leg standing on that, and you are trying to push the wall over. and and it's a weird it's a weird exercise I must admit, but um, it really gets the stance leg uh, going. And I'm after endurance, so I will get them to push against that wall one, two, three, four minutes until they've got so much lactic acid burning in their butt mm-hmm. uh, that, that that they have to stop. And then they walk, they struggle to walk for 20 or 30 seconds properly because they're you've, you've just basically actively weakened their um, their hip abductors, but that's an absolute cracker. And then you just move it into, um, into functional standing. So I'll get them in front of a mirror, and single leg stance, ensuring that they are maintaining hip stability, as in neutral position, and just do some small knee bands, only 5 or 10 degrees, with their shirt off, just in shorts, so that they can really see what's going on, and that helps their proprioceptive awareness, because I believe your visual stimulus is so much stronger than any other sense. Um, so that's the way I, and then you obviously, you're progressing that into running, etc. But you can use TheraBands as well, when, when people are on the road, just TheraBand around you, both of your ankles and just go into abduction. Yeah, correct.
0: Yeah, people can't see me, but I'm moving back and forth. <laughs> like I'm abducting right now, but it's a podcast, so you can't see any of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but again, I, I would challenge you the, the abduction you want to be doing is in stance. You can do it when, you know, in... Um, the, the leg's actually moving, but your affected leg, it's affected because when your foot hits the ground, you're in stance. So you want to strengthen it in stance. Yeah. But you can, if you hip AB duct the other side with movement on the TheraBand, that actually strengthens your stance leg sure. as well.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, this was, I think, I've been taking copious notes here. Um <laughs> And we're doing- Can I
1: tell you a stretch? Can I tell you one stretch yes, as well? Please. So flexibility. There is definitely a length issue, and um, I believe there's a number of different ways to stretch this. But again, there's this weird stretch that people do when they're going into really crazy hip adduction, inside lie, and 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 hooking their feet over the bed. I just think I don't want to really stretch it in a way that's going to potentially cause more tension down at the distal knee. But what I tend to do is just a pure. Um, either a quad stretch where your foot is hooked onto the back of a couch. Um, so if you can imagine quad, your, your heel is on your backside um, and you're just doing a basic quad stretch in standing, but hook your foot on something so you can relax. So your, your foot is, a couch is generally the best thing or a sofa or whatever you call it in America. Um, and, but you have to make sure that your knees are together because once your knee goes out and your hips in A B duction, you've lost the tension on the yeah. fascia. So to get the fascial stretch, you have to be knees together into hip A D duction. Mm-hmm. But again, only do this stretch. Use the stretch as a test. So do, stretch on their good side and if and put that sensation in their memory banks and do the stretch on their affected side. And if it feels different stretch it because you can definitely you can definitely stretch the fascia over weeks and months, but it takes weeks and months, and Mm -hmm. I will get patients to hold this stretch for two, three minutes to try and get a length on this really tight fascial structure. And the other thing I'll do because of the fascial attachments, like it's contiguous right up to our latissimus dorsi and our arms, I'll then do a hip flexor stretch, um, but I'll put there hand on their head. Yeah, exactly. And and stretch the whole fascial chain. But again, you only do this if it's different to the other side. Treat what you find.
0: Got it. Got it. Oh my goodness. There's so much good information here. I can't take it. Um, well, you know, we're uh, running a little short on time, I think. Although I could go for longer, but I actually have to go treat a patient. Um, but uh, I mean, I think we've cleared up a lot of myths surrounding the IT band. I think going over the anatomical considerations is very important and is something that cannot be overlooked if you're that treating physical therapist. Um, the assessment, both intrinsic and extrinsic, so talking to your patient, understanding the loads and and volume that they're putting onto these structures, going into treatment and treating what you find. Uh, And and finally, knowing that the IT band is just a thickened structure that's part of a continuous sheath around the leg and that it really can't be smashed or mushed or lengthened or what have you with our bare hands, I think is something that's very, very important. Um, So uh, what I'll ask you to do is... Just give some parting words to those therapists who are seeing these uh, this lateral knee pain, which can be a real bugger for for the patient. So, what what would your best advice be to the treating therapist?
1: So, enjoy it, number one, because I, I I enjoy everything I do, and I don't do things I don't enjoy. So, I love doing it. So, we keep. Do, keep doing it if you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, stop seeing triathletes because they can be a little bit, um, a little bit manic sometimes. But so, so keep enjoying. It. And for ITB issues, um, treat what you find and don't. And the other thing I would say is challenge your assumptions because um, you might do something and it gets them better, and you make a decision that it was X that got them better but it may not have been anything to do with X. It may have been Y was a mechanism that actually got them better. So challenge your assumptions and treat what you find Compare to the other side.
0: Oh, very good. Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. Okay. Well, this was great. And now where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and what you're, what you're doing?
1: Sure. Uh, so one thing I didn't mention at the start, you know, yeah, Olympics and La Trobe University, but I've also um, invented a few products. One of them's called Backballs, B-A-K-B-A-L-L-S dot com. And you can get that in the U.S. through a number of big distributors, Collins and Fabrication Enterprises and uh, Scrip, etc. cetera. Um, so you can get me at Mark.Alexander, M-A-R-K, full stop, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R, at Backballs.com, B-A-K balls dot com, and happy to answer any questions.
0: Great, and and just so you know, everybody, Mark's going to come back on the podcast in the near future um, to talk about more the entrepreneurial side of physical therapy. So we've got that to look forward to as well. So and
1: we could talk about the Olympics coming up August five as well. If you're oh interested.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We could talk about the Olympics in Rio, which is coming up in one hundred days. There you um, go. And I know and that you can
1: also get me on Twitter. You can also oh, get yeah, me on Twitter, Twitter as Twitter? well at uh back just straight backballs Um or, or Mark Alexander PT.
0: Great. Both on at, at on Twitter. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. I, I, um, I learned so much uh, in this, just like, you know, when I talked to Jill Cook, I was like, I learned more about tendinopathy in 25 minutes than I have in the past couple of years. And I feel that way about ITB uh, issues, and lateral knee pain now. So thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Karen. Love the podcast. Keep uh, it going. It's awesome.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find me on Twitter at Karen NYC, um, And you can find all of the podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.